Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California and now living in beautiful Beijing. With me today is Bebe. Hi. Hello. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we have a special guest. Mario Cavallo, or Mr. Ma, is an influencer and American who's lived in China for 23 years. Going on 24, Mr. Ma has a YouTube channel called Mr. Ma's Adventures. We recommend you check it out. He is an expert in communications, business, and a jazz pianist. He's also the founder of the Drago Quartz Audiophile Project, which highlights Chinese audio gear. He's also the author of five books, a senior fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. He's a featured media commentator for Huawei Global Thought Leadership Platform, CCTV, China Daily, The Global Times, The People's Daily, CGTN, Guangdong Today, and CRI Radio. Mario is a resident of China's Northeast Liaoning Province. Welcome to the show, Mario. Hi, Hi. Mario. Hi, baby. Hi, Jason. I want to tell you, when I, I just actually listened to Jason describing my life, <laughs> and I realized how much it is the case that my life is right here mm -hmm. in China. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's been exacerbated by the, the inability to travel with the way China's decided to handle the pandemic, right? So it's even been more so the case that for most all of us, we haven't been traveling. But I suddenly realized, I'm like, wow, my life is really Chinese. It's all this <laughs> stuff going on here in China, you yeah. know? So, yeah. and, and, I, and I'm happy about it. It's been, a cra it's been crazy. It's been wonderful. It's been a blessing. It's had its tough moments, like everyone in life. Life, right but uh, overall right. Mm, wow mm. china's my home and jason it is now officially 24 years this oh, month oh it's 24 oh, years 24 congratulations years. wow yeah incredible I can't even believe it. Can I call you just Mr. Ma? Mr. Ma, yes? Okay, call me Mr. No, no, you have to, baby, you got to call me Ma Da Ge. Oh, Ma Da Ge. Oh, do you know what that means? Big Brother Ma. Big Brother Ma. So yeah. Big Brother is of actually course. a very endearing As you were um, title that you would yeah. give to someone who you are familiar with. Well, yeah. it's also it's also much better than if you want to call me Ma Shushu, because that makes me feel old. No. And I don't want to no feel, way. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to feel old, but Mr. Ma's good. It's all good. You know, the point is that as both of you know, I had gotten involved for very wonderful, positive reasons. Mm. I had gotten involved in the geopolitical landscape. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a media commentator mm -hmm. regularly for CGTN and I write these articles in China Daily and all the other major national media. Well, that's a wonderful thing that I'm, I'm working with all of them. Mm -hmm. But it was for, as you know, it was for because of the geopolitical topics. That topic can be, no, not can be, is dark. It can be negative in a lot of ways and it can take a toll. Many people I know have said this, mm -hmm. how it can take a toll on your emotions in your mind because it's always, you're always discussing a problem. You're always discussing something negative. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I started saying to my friends and to my wife, mm -hmm. but I'm in China and I'm a jazz pianist and I've played jazz piano in many of the Da Juyan, the grand theaters all oh, over China. Right. And I'm like, well, that's wow. a positive 
positive, which we can talk more about later. So that's a positive thing. And I have a beautiful Dongbei wife that I married and a beautiful son and a mother-in-law who doesn't, who doesn't speak a wink of English. And then I'm <laughs> discovering all these really wonderful things about my life in China. And obviously I wouldn't continue living here if I didn't feel that way. Right. So I'm like, mm. I need a, po I need a positive project. Right. These are positive things. And these things are an adventure. And that's when it popped into my head. These things are an adventure. And then my friend, one of my friends, Yan, she's a UK Chinese. And, um, you know, she's in all, a lot of these things that we do. And, and she said, well, and you're Mr. Ma, you know, Mario, Mr. Ma. And I'm like, yeah, so it's, it's your adventures. And I went, yeah, it's Mr. Ma's China adventures. And that was it. That, that was it. I was like, I need that. We need that because that's real life. Mm. Not that you're always stuck in dark, negative mm. arguments about mm. geopolitical problems and conflicts. You know, we're worried <laughs> the, about nuclear bombs tomorrow, right? Right. No. Uh, daily life is in China is still traditional family life. We want to be able to, do I live a life where I have the ability to, to pursue my life, liberty, and happiness? Do I have that in China? Do you have that in China? Yes. Of yeah, do you? Do. Do, does everybody, does every, I mean, I live in Shenyang. I'm looking at eight apartment. I'm looking out my big window right here, by the way. And there's the beautiful Aoti Stadium, the Shenyang uh, Olympic Stadium right across the road there. And there's the Wanda Mall and the, and the Xinlong Mall. And there's people everywhere. And you go downstairs and it's Runaude, right? It's real world, mm. real life. People want to be able to do the best they can and have the best life that fate allows them to have that they can best possibly have and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's positive. It's positive. Right. Too much negative is bad for everybody. And it's alive. It's a very lively country, I have mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. And also speaking of traditional Chinese life. So you live in Liaoning province. You live in Shenyang. Now. And uh, now. In a, yes. do you still live? Four years. Four years. And um, you live with your mother-in-law? Because yeah. that's like in the U.S. That would be like odd. People don't live with I their... I think there are some families. Some? some, some. Oh, do you guys get along? Yeah, I'm very happy to <laughs> clarify that we do not live with our mother-in-law the same house and mm. <laughs> we did that for a while okay now listen this is a great story my wife is a Liaoning Shenyang Dongbei Laopuo okay now okay. <laughs> and, and whenever whenever I tell people that I married a Dongbei Laopuo mm -hmm. they all the Chinese people all look at me and they go oh <laughs> Oh, you know, they, they're like, so they know that a Dongbei Laopua is tough. They have a very strong character mm. and it's true. She's tidy. She barely weighs 90 pounds, but no, man. She's got things under control. We know who's in charge. Yeah. So she's got it. Yes. She's got me. <laughs> right. So the point, no, no. So here's the point. Who does the, this is the, so my darling wife. And it's all wonderful. This is my darling wife. And we came to Shenyang four years ago knowing we eventually would have to come. Her mother's getting old to be with her mom, take care of her mom. Mm -hmm. And also our boy is 11 now. He was seven then. And, you know, you got to get grandma and Ardza, mm -hmm. you know, Lao Lao and Ardza, right. you know, together. Right. Which is all a wonderful blessing. But now when it comes to things, though, that are happening in the family, right, because it's, it's a family. You're married. You're not married to the wife. You're married to a family. Mm -hmm. This is family life here in China, which I agree with. I'm Italian. I still I agree with that. Right. It's traditional family. So who does my wife want to protect more? Her mother mm -hmm. or me? Lucky guess. <laughs> not me. No way. Not me. OK. So we're having this thing where my mother-in-law was staying with us for like about a month or so. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking we need to watch her. We need to take care of her. And she's in that bedroom over there on the other side of the house with her own bathroom. And I'm looking at my 
my wife and I'm going, this isn't working. This isn't going to work, honey. You know, I'm like, you know, I want to get up in the morning and I want to be able to walk to the kitchen in my underwear, simple little things. And I can't because mm. your mother's here. Right. And I'm trying to explain this to her. But guess who was. But but listen, she's arguing with me like crazy. She's like, you have to respect mom. And I'm like, of course. Right. I know all that. But guess what? She didn't. She didn't want to understand. Guess who agreed with mother-in-law? Me? My mother-in-law. Yeah. Right. So my I said to my wife, we got to have a talk about mom. We have to sit down with mom and we got to just talk about this like adults. And my wife was like, you're forbidden. Don't you say anything to my mother. And I, <laughs> and I knew right because she's protecting her mother. Right. So I, and I knew she was not seeing it. I knew she was, quote, wrong. And I mean that with love. OK. And she went and she went away. She went to work. Right. And I said to myself, OK, I'm going to set me and my mother-in-law because I have great respect for her. She's wonderful. We get along great. She drives me crazy, but I drive her crazy. This That's all normal. And I said, OK, we're going to talk this out and then I'll let my wife know later. So there's a rule you learn to follow in life. It's uh, better to ask for sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm. Yeah. Okay? So I didn't have my wife's Smart. permission. Right. So I sat down. I looked right. So I sat down. I looked at my mother-in-law. And of course, this is all in uh, Don Mehua. This is all in, in Charger, Mama. Oh. Mama, what I need. That's so sweet. And she's, yeah, she's yeah. yeah, 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 I know. Right? Yeah, yeah. She, we're all good. Mm. So I'm like, mom, you know, my life is take care of you and Nana and our boy. I don't care about anything else. Okay. Mm. I said, but mom, I said, you know, I think you want, you don't want to stay here all the time either. Mm. And she said, Oh, fala. <laughs> annoying. You know, yeah. right? Fala. Right? Yeah, oh, it's so annoying. She says, I agree. So me and her, mm. we were beautiful. We were eye to eye. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to stay here. I'm like, yeah, and I don't want you to stay here. Give me a hug, you know? <laughs> I see. We worked it out, right? And then she was, at, and then we informed, we informed my wife. We informed my wife. Wow. She was like, ah. Very smart. Yeah. Family story. Did you, you learn know, a thing or family two? Family story. Well, I, I don't know if I want to try that strategy just yet. <laughs> You're listening to The Bridge. I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, where you're from and what brought you to China originally, because I've very rarely met someone who's lived in China as long as you have. I think actually you're the only person I know that has lived here this long yeah. who's not ethnically Chinese. Yeah, yeah. I I, pre I appreciate the I, I really appreciate the question. I also can't believe it. All right. Because mm. I'm telling you now that up until the time when I was invited to China, mm. I previously had never had a thought mm. about China in particular. Mm. So that's really quite incredible. So what happened, mm. I had moved to, uh, in 1996, I had moved to Los Angeles. Um, I was, it was unfortunate, you know, it was difficult. I was post-divorce um, and those things are never pleasant. And then I, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, actually Newport Beach, mm. Orange County um, in 96. From New York? Uh, no, from Phoenix. Uh, we all 
my fa- the Italian, a lot of the Italian Americans, Jason, uh, go to, uh, well, there's a joke in New York. The Jews go to Miami and the Italian Americans go to Phoenix. <laughs> that, that's, that's what goes on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, for, for the nice weather to get out of the winter weather in, you know, the Northeast of, of, of America. Mm-hmm. So my family has been in, mm-hmm. in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale for like 45 years. So we were all there. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. I said, then I had my reason to start my life fresh again. And I moved to Southern California, I moved to Newport Beach, and that was wonderful. As you might know, Los Angeles, Newport Beach area, uh, Orange County, you've got a lot more Asian. You've got a million Chinese just up in the, up in San Gabriel. Mm-hmm. You've got a million Chinese in the middle of Los Angeles. Then you've also got down in Orange County, Laguna, Laguna Hills, you've got a lot of Chinese, but also Korean, Vietnamese, and Japanese. So there's a lot more Asians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, that, that was it, just that they were in the community, wonderful. And I was going to an acupuncturist in Little Saigon up in Garden Grove, up near Disneyland. You go into places like Chinatown. These little Chinese communities. Uh-huh. Yeah, and right. The Vietnamese, but Vietnamese as well. And Garden Grove is called Little Saigon. Mm-hmm. And there's, and you go into a mall and there's a mall and all the streets and all, and there's no English anywhere. I mean, it's really like, it, it's all, et, all ethnic uh, Asian. So it's Vietnamese and Chinese. They're all mixed in there. And I'm in there and I'm getting, my neck is bad. So I'm getting some acupuncture done from the Chinese lady. And of course, I'm one of her few white guy customers, right? They don't, they are, most people in America have no clue. They would never go to a, I was like one of the only, I was the only white guy in the whole mall, wow. right? And I would go in there and go shopping and go to the Chinese medicine shops, but I was there for the mm-hmm. acupuncture. Okay. So that was all, my only connection to China and Asia was my Chinese acupuncture lady. Mm-hmm. And she just one day said to me, my friend is from Chongqing. And I was like, where's that? <laughs> you know? And she said, oh, it's in Sichuan. It's in, you know, it's, it's in the hinterland, mm-hmm. right? We know this word. It's in the hinterland. It's in Sichuan province, which is the middle of the country. And I went, that's nice. <laughs> and she says, he will invite you to go to China. He'll invite you to go to China to do some business. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay, sure. I'm interested. I yeah. I, I was free. Exa- I swear to you, that's how that's what happened. So he takes me, this Chongqing guy, wonderful. Frank, Frank, I love you. I I do the shows. I always mention him. His English name is Frank Lee. He's in, uh, he's still, he's back in LA with the family restaurant. Mm-hmm. He brings me to Chongqing. I meet his family, of course. Of, I don't have to tell you, this was 19... So this was three years later. So this was 1999. Can you imagine I arrived in Chengdu, Chongqing and Chengdu in 1999? It was before WTO. Nothing, mm. zero mm. had changed. Nothing had ever... Nothing changed. So this blew my mind. This mm. blew my mind. But also when you show up in Chongqing and get your culture shock from Chongqing in 1999 and Chengdu as well. We were in Chengdu, going to Chengdu too. Because the U.S. consulate was in Chengdu, okay? Mm. But it's not only you getting the culture shock. You're, the, I'm the only tall, I'm the only tall, you know, uh, white guy in the in the city, basically. <laughs> and so all the Chongqing people, they're the ones because they're. By the way, people in out in the in Sichuan are short, right, shorter. <laughs> so I'm 188. I'm 188 tall. So I'm 188. So, so I'm extra tall. Mm. Now I I would go walking along the streets and people are you know they're staring at you you know and they, with their kids and everything. And this is again, <laughs> this is 24 years ago. So right. I go into a shirt and tie shop along the along the road. You know all the shops together, right? Mm. And the merchant the merchant economy of China, which 
I still love. And I go into the shop and I'm looking at shirts and ties and I'm in there for like 10 and I turn around and at the entrance to the shop, the entire neighborhood stopped what they were doing to come <laughs> over. And, and like, I was like the show, I was the show. And they came over to see, and I turned around and there they were. And I was like, Oh my God. And they were with their baby with, with, the, you know, I don't have a doll with me with their babies. You know, yeah. ni hao, hello, and I'm I'm laughing. I was laughing. I was, this is 1999. Wow, that's right? an amazing story. And yeah. The curiosity is amazing. Right, it's incredible. But it points out a lot of things, doesn't it? You know, because I, I don't want to, Jason. I said this to you earlier in the week. Mm. I don't want to talk about me to talk about me. That's absolutely not necessary. I want to talk about me in these stories because of what it tells us mm. about the country, mm-hmm. about cross cultural relations, about life. That's what's important. And when you look at what's happening, what was happening back then, why Chinese people are high on what's called curiosity Mm. in their minds. Chinese people are high on curiosity and they're not afraid to ask questions. And again, this is not, this is a, this is a a subtlety here. Mm. The reason Chinese people ask you questions is because they're looking for a friendly conversation, Mm. but they're looking for what it is that they can compliment you on. Mm. It's a strategy. Mm. Okay. So what they want to do is that when you meet, when a Chinese person meets you in order to Mm. develop rapport, to have a friendly conversation, Mm -hmm. like in a taxi, okay, the taxi driver wants to have a friendly conversation Mm -hmm. with you. Okay. So in order to have a friendly conversation with you, they want to say something at, they want to say that they admire you. Mm. They can't say that they can't say, Oh, Nisha Hanhao. Wow, that you are great. What's wonderful? Where are you from? Meiguo. Wow, you are one. That's wonderful. You are from Meiguo. Really? Do you own a home in China? <laughs> what? What? It's just like, what? I mean, this, no one in America would mm. ever ask a stranger, do you own a home? It would never enter your mind but to, to you, ever, you guys already... ever ask a question like that. It would never, Jason, do you understand me? Yeah, but you already started talking. You're no longer right? strangers. No longer complete <laughs> yeah, strangers. Now. Right. So, so, so it's do you do you own a home? Mm. Answer. Uh, let's just say my answer is yes, and, and it was my yes because I my first home I bought was on the beach in Sanya, Hainan oh, Island, nice. in two thousand and two. Can you imagine that? So that's whole. That's another story, right? So I he I said yes because it was true, and then the taxi driver said, "And how big is it?" And what did you pay for it? And you're just like, oh my God, the foreigner is going, no, you got to be kidding me. And then you must know why. Hun Hao, how big is your apartment? Oh, it's 110 square meters. Oh, that's good for you. Good for you. How much much money do you make? And now the foreigner is is out of his mind. The foreigner (laughs) cannot believe that this stranger would ask these imposing, Mm. rude, inappropriate questions and what is it that the the taxi driver he just he wants to have a friendly conversation wow you're from another country well you're from america you own a home here it's 110 square meters good for you can you see the ocean how you make how much money wow that's so great now it makes sense Yeah. yeah Wait, so um, I guess it's a way of, uh, as you said, getting to know each other. And because you come all the way from the United States to China, especially back then, I think people would naturally assume that there must be a good reason why you were there. You know, you are already a friend, a friend from afar. And then they will chat with you 
as if you're, you know, a friend. Yes. Are you married? How many kids? You know, what job yes. do you do? All these so-called personal yes. questions. Yes. But I think yeah. you get used to it after a while. Do you, Jason? Yes. I mean, I've completely adapted. I don't actually. <laughs> I I am not sure if I would be able to have a normal conversation in America anymore because I'm not sure what's off the table anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, different. Yeah, it is difficult. I know one thing, Jason. Jason, how long have you been here? Remind me again. Uh, just over ten years. Okay, so you're good for you. Hit the ten. Ten ten's the first big magic. Well, five's the first magic number. Ten's the second big magic number. Good for you. Um, mm-hmm. good for you, Mr. Ma. So you. You came to China back in 1999. Yeah. That was that was early. How did you decide to stay? Right. Like, were you here just for a job or for right. a visit? Um, and- I came with my friend Frank. He wanted. Uh, we, we we were making an effort because there were uh, back then it, mostly in Chongqing and Chengdu because the U.S. consulate was there. So there were there were some guys back then in Chengdu, businessmen who had a lot of money, and they wanted to meet business people in America to try and do business and do joint ventures. And we were serving to introduce them to each other like the Chamber of Commerce does, right? So that that's that was the purpose of our trips and that's terrific, right? So that was the purpose, but I didn't have a pleasant, um, I had a wonderful job, a wonderful new career start in, in uh, it just happened to be timing, in Newport Beach. I was for three years, I had a new job position. We were, the offices of the company I was working for was right on Newport Harbor. So outside my office window was the yachts on Newport Harbor. So it was a wonderful life. But that company literally just happened to go out of business after three years. So I was in between projects. Mm-hmm. I've always been an independent person I, I, as an entrepreneur. I do, I do, I've always been a professional speaker, a trainer. I'm always in front of people. Mm. Okay. So it's very comfortable for me. I teach camera skills, all this stuff. So I've, I've always been in media and communications. Mm. So I happen to be not tied to a specific contract at that time when I got invited to China. So I didn't have much to go back home to. It was like, okay, wait a minute. Cause I arrived in China and then there was a small chamber of commerce and then two I'll tell you what happened. Two two key things happened. I came and we mostly spent our time in Chengdu, again, because of the U.S. consulate. Back then, it was easy as a citizen to get in. You could like walk in the front door of the U.S. consulate because back then it wasn't it wasn't a bit as bit formal as it is now. And for example, the consul general's brother was a priest and he was visiting and he was staying at the consulate and he was studying Chinese medicine at Hua Shida, which is the famous Chinese medicine TCM University uh, on Renminlu in downtown Chengdu, a couple of kilometers from the consulate. So here was his brother, the priest, who was studying TCM at the university. Amazing, right? And then his brother on Sundays would do mass. I'm, I'm Italian Catholic. His brother on Sundays would do mass at the consulate. So we had our little community of maybe 10 people. So we'd meet at the consulate. So now I was getting involved in the community. I was starting to develop a life. And then the consulate, uh, then the second thing that happened was Motorola grabbed me and asked me to start doing business communications training for them. Motorola was the one back then, remember? Back then, the world, back then, the foreign world was Motorola, Siemens, and Volkswagen. That was like... It was, they were the top of the world here in China, those three companies. And funny how things change, right? So I started doing work for Motorola. They sent me to Beijing, which was my first trip to Beijing for some training. What about Beijing? I couldn't Beijing? believe it. I was, then I was hooked, right? I went to Beijing. I was like, wow, wow. And then hang on. And then, and then back to Chengdu. And then the third thing that happened is 
we left, we came back. So we, we had like three trips over the course of mm. maybe three months apart. So mm. I came back three times. So then the consulate finally had uh, an important big project, which they invited me to participate in. And that was that China was entering the WTO mm-hmm. and then the United States, the Chengdu consulate with the Chengdu Foreign Affairs Office and Sichuan Maftek and the Chongqing Overseas Affairs Office all together organized a series of WTO seminars all over the province for business people in China to explaining to them what it meant that China was entering the WTO. And they asked me to be one of the businessmen speakers during that Mm. conference. And so things just started adding up. And then, okay, so you, you know, you tell me, you come to my, you come knocking on my house, let's say it's you, because it was my friend, Mr. Mr. Lee, my friend, Frank, the Chongqing guy comes knocking on my door. Mario. Yeah. Pack your bag. Tomorrow we're going back to Guangzhou. And I looked at him and I went, nope, you're going back to Guangzhou. I'm staying here. And he went, you are? I go, yep. I rented an apartment. And that was it. That was it. Just like that. Within the first year, I was like, it's better to stay than to go back. And that was the bottom line. All these opportunities. And also, um, you were talking about your a Catholic a re- religious background. Yeah, and I actually yeah. want to ask you about that because I was reading your book, um, one of your books about China. Mm. And in one of the sections you talked about your, you know, you going to the church uh, in China. I don't, I don't remember where exactly. Oh, I think in Shanghai. Sha- yes. Sacred Heart with your in, wife. in Pudong. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Because I think maybe in uh, Western, I don't know, in a lot of other Western countries, people... There may be people, a misconception. Yeah, there's a misunderstanding. Really? They think that we are not, re- we are completely <laughs> not religious or you can hold religious activities and things like that. So there's, you know, a huge misunderstanding. I mean, I, at my workplace, I remember yeah. I had at least in my small office, we had two very devout Christians and of course I have Buddhist friends and uh, I know quite some people who are very religious and they uh, attend yes. mass on Sundays. Actually, I went to one. Yes. This was like yes. decade, maybe, I don't know, at least 15 years ago for one Christmas. I yes. someday before that, I actually decided to, I went with my coworker and to uh, like a Sunday mass. Um, this was in Haidian somewhere in Beijing. Yeah. And it was so crowded. Yeah. I literally had to squeeze yes, in right. between the seats. Yeah. And I think like half an hour into it, I, I almost passed out from a lack of oxygen. <laughs> there were like so many people. <laughs> And uh, we had like, um, and I started meeting more friends from, you know, different churches. So it's actually very active. And I don't know, sometimes I don't know why people get this misconception that, yeah, you know, I, Chinese people are not religious or at least all of them are not religious or you can't practice religion in China. That's that's, that's not true. So can you maybe help us clarify that a little, like tell us about your experience going to church and, you know, uh, in, in China in general? Baby, I really like this topic for positive reasons, mm. but also a quick, a negative thing, which I don't want to spend too much time on. It's very, very upsetting when people lie and cheat and it hurts other people. To me, it, it, it happened to me mm. specifically in my life in a couple of different things that, so, so I'm really sensitive about this. And so one of the things that happens is, and it's so upsetting because I've been here 24 years. When you know something someone says is completely untrue, and not only that, but it's a really mean, nasty mm. thing, right? And this is about the church, and this is about religion and the church in, in China. If you go to the United States State Department website, there's an official notice and Pompeo did it, and Blinken's doing it now. It's an official notice that says China continues to violently oppress people practicing 
all faiths and religions. And I read that. No way. I read that. And it's on the official state, U.S. State Department website. Now, let that end my, let that end the political conversation. I don't want to talk about it because I, I hate okay. it. But can you imagine that? What's the reality? No. In, in Shanghai, of course, you know, it's the most, one of the more international cities here. And in Shanghai, you've got several Christian churches, several Catholic churches, as you mentioned mm -hmm. when you were speaking. One of the Christian churches uh, that I went to. And it's like 2,000 people, you know, this huge. Mm. And, you know, and I went there and it was packed, right? <laughs> I believe at this, I believe at this point that China is more Judeo-Christian than the United States no or Europe way. is anymore, <laughs> right? I'm to that, right? It's, okay, and, and you say, I want to talk about two things on this. There's Judeo-Christianity as a base of ethics, not religion. And then there's Confucianism as the base, of, as the mm. principles of ethics as well. Now, we know mm. that primarily it's China. In China, it's primarily the Confucian principles, six, 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 I believe, the principles of Confucianism that drive people values in terms of develop your virtue, be a good person, you know, mm. uh, but also filial piety. Respect your elders. Respect your, well, filial, mm. that's it, mm. the filial piety. And that's what I want to mention mm. because the filial piety means family is the most important thing. And mm. the Jude the original Judeo-Christian ethic, which began where? In Italy, right? Rome, mm. the Vatican, Rome, this, the center of the church was Rome. Uh, I'm going back, we're going back 2000 years, right? Uh, at, at the birth of Christ. Uh, so this is a very similar set of ethics, which says that the the marriage and family traditional society is the best, strongest root of society and needs to be. Mm -hmm. And the moment you start getting away from that, which they did in Europe and they did in the U.S. into this new neoliberal ideology, a society will start to decline. Mm. Now, that was the theory, but it's no longer a theory because we've seen it. Ha it's happened, right? We see exactly see it happening. Okay. The, the degree to which the United States uh, society pushing, pushing, pushing away from marriage, family, church, etc., to keep the as the glue of the society. You know, as soon as they did start pushing away from that, the society, society has had all kinds of problems deter in deteriorating and declining. And, but then skipping that as well, but then they, then they're saying, but China's an atheist country. Hmm. That, that's a tricky um, question. We can talk about that. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's China's an atheist. Well, the government is atheist. Well, the United States government is atheist too. So that's, they call it separation of church and state. Right. That's the yeah. definition. That's yeah. the very definition of it. And that's fine. And in other words, if we're having a business discussion, let, let's say, oh, baby, Jason, I got a business project and uh, I got this idea and we're going to sell, you know, these widgets. I think we could sell them for 10 bucks a piece and I think we could make a 70% profit and let's make a business plan and discuss it. And then if any of us says, well, what religion are you? Or, well, let's pray about it. That that's not business. It's that that doesn't make sense, right? It's wait a minute. We're discussing business. So separation of church, mm. separation of spiritual and and uh, state, right? Fine. Okay, so China does that. America does that. All, all you government, you know, the governments do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, we know, though, though, in the Middle East, for example, like Islam, they, they don't do that. Right. The Islam is a way of life. It's a way of decision making the way. So, and that so that is religion is part of your decision making. Right. So you can separate those two out. But that doesn't mean, as we're discussing, as you noted, that religions aren't flourishing in China and that people are not allowed to practice. This is ridiculous. When our son was I want to say last thing, real quick, when our son was born, mm -hmm. 
And we went to the Catholic Church, sacred one of the Catholic churches in Shanghai happened to be Sacred Heart in Pudong, where we were living. And we went to speak to Father Joe. We were discussing with Father Joe whether or not to have our child baptized at the church here in Shanghai, or whether we were going to take him back to America to do it with mm -hmm. Grandma and Grandpa back in Arizona. We chose to do it back in Arizona. But the point is, it was no big deal. It was yeah, baptisms and marriages and all the church activities that you do here in China, the same as back in this back anywhere, same as anywhere outside yeah. of China. That's mm -hmm. the point. And they try and tell you that's not true. And that really angers me. That makes me very angry. Now, I have two interesting things I want to share and also discuss with you guys. Now, one of the things, see if you guys can agree with me. Let's say if someone comes from, let's say the US to China to do a survey on religion. And it depends on the result you're going to get depends on how you ask the questions, right? If you like, you know, go on the street and just ask, start asking people, are you religious? I think you might get a lot of uh, no's because I think um, Chinese people's understanding of the term religious has a specific structure. Now, if you ask them, do you have a faith or do you believe in the existence of God? Or do you believe in the Buddha? I think you'll get different answers. That's you know, right. When you ask, say, a Chinese person, are you religious? They will think that you mean you're asking them if uh, they go to the church, if they believe, if they, you know, participate in Bible group study, mm -hmm. that there is very like more rigid understanding of definition of religious. Yes. But if you ask them, do you think the Buddha exists or do you think God exists? They a lot more will say, I believe so. And then if you ask them similar question, but on the flip side, do you think that there is no God or do you think there is no Buddha in this world? I think right. you'll get a higher percentage of people uh, saying, well, oh, I'm not sure. I, I think you know, it's it's harder to deny them. Right. No, if you don't yeah. believe in God at all, that's uh, atheist. If you say, I'm not right. sure, I don't know, that's called agnostic. Yeah. Like the word is agnostic. Jason, what were you going to say? Sorry. Well, actually, the way that I was looking at some of the st statistics about Taoism and how they tabulate who a Taoist is, and according to Taoism, the really hardcore system is you actually have to be a practicing Taoist monk or priest to be counted as a Taoist. Mm. But we all know from living in China that there are tens of millions, if not more people who are practitioners of Taoism, who go to Taoist temples, who pray before various Taoist gods. So the way that it's tabulated and, and in a lot of data and graphs in the West is an inaccurate it, representation of what life in China is actually like. That's right. That's a really good point. Very because good point. let's say there are a lot of... Um, a lot of people who uh, practice Buddhism here in China, maybe some get a certificate, like you go to a temple and they'll give you some kind of, uh, I don't know, actually. Yes. Yeah. My wife actually has one of the yeah, certificates. I guess that's yeah. for like people who are, you know, seriously practicing, mother, learning about this religion. My but for a lot of people, she has one. Okay. Mm. But for me, you know, I, I study, I try to study Buddhism. And I read my scriptures morning and night, but I don't have a badge or a certificate. Mm. Right. So if you ask me, are you a Buddhist? I'm like, you know, I'll be like, I don't know if I count as a Buddhist, <laughs> you know, or if you ask, are you a Taoist? I mean, mm. I might be studying mm. or practicing certain Taoist uh, practices, but yeah. I don't have a badge or title. So mm. it depends on how you do the survey. Yeah. Yes, baby. And what I want to do is I want to say this word. I want to throw the word in for you here, which is to say mm. spiritual practices. So it's the difference yes. between yes. are are you are you in, are you specifically engaged into a 
and committed into a specific religion? The answer might be, mm. no, I'm not. Uh, however, I am spiritual or I have spiritual practices or I accept mm. that I or I believe in right. the spiritual or and or you can call it spiritual mm. or divine nature of life. And so I'm saying I believe in God. Right. I'm a bit mm -hmm. general about it. I don't. By the way, I'm not a great. I'm not a good Catholic. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to ask. I thought the all details. you have to do is ask for forgiveness. <laughs> right, I, right. I don't go to. I don't go to. I don't regularly practice the full Catholic faith, mm. but I don't throw it out the window and reject it either. Right. So I accept mm. the idea of the spiritual, the spiritual and the divine principles. Fine, but it's like this: what you're saying, though. So, where, so do I say, right. "Oh, I'm Catholic"? Well, I don't practice my Catholicism that much, actually. But I guess I'm still Catholic. Mm. Yes, so I'm just not a good one. I mean, you know, you don't need to have these conversations with people. It can get, it can get, there's a lot of, there's a lot of muddy water here. I mean, I, just the yeah. other day, I think I read in the news that there is a, uh, there is a rise in the popularity of young people practicing Buddhism here in China because they're so stressed out <laughs> by modern life. Yeah. So a lot more are going to yes. temples, yes. you know, to pray just, or just to calm down. And I know more and more friends who are starting yes. to have some sorts of, a you know, spiritual spiritual practice, maybe they don't go to church every day, but you know, there's a lot of things you can do to help support your spiritual right. growth. It's nothing to do with religion. Right. So it depends on how you ask how you do the survey, ask the questions, and how you how do you define religious freedom? Mm -hmm. I can sit here and think about God and yeah. you know. But okay, now, now baby, anything, that's right? see now the thing now the thing is, baby, that what what you and I are we're saying. So, what is the degree to which people in China are practicing their religions, and they're certainly allowed to? That this is a rational adult discussion. So, when when the United States government comes along and says, "Oh no 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 no," not only are people not practicing practicing religion in China, but China is evil. The government <laughs> is still to this day violently oppressing people practicing faiths of, of all, all no. faiths and religions. Yeah. When you read that, it's ludicrous. They're not, they're not, it's like, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the Uyghurs. They're, they're genociding the Uyghurs. This is, mm. this is ugly, ugly, sick stuff. And it makes me, and it's very difficult for me because I'm an American. I'm not anti-American when I say it, but when I see something that's so morally gross and incorrect, mm -hmm. and then they pull, and then they use it, they politicize it mm. to deem demonize China when in fact the reality is, and whenever I do an interview, I say this, when in fact the reality is this, China is now the largest, safe, stable, successful, capable, peaceful, and civil country on the planet. Mm. I always say that during my interviews, <laughs> and that's a mouthful, and it's the truth. Okay. Do you realize, let's going back to the positive things, which is that China has just blossomed incredibly mm. over these 30 years, especially 20 years. But let's go back and remember that it actually, if we go back to the last time China was in, mm -hmm. involved in a war, not started a war, and that was Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And that was the mid-1970s. So it has been China's rise to super world power with so much influence, and that's a whole nother discussion, has been peaceful for almost half a century. China hasn't started a war or attacked any other country in almost half a century. And then mm. I have to listen, and then I have to listen to these damn US politicians say China is 
a threat. China is evil. Seriously. The country that hasn't started, yeah, the country that hasn't yeah. started a war yeah. or attacked any other country in a half a century mm. is the evil threat. No, you're the evil threat. I- <laughs> and then they just project this out onto China. It's just disgusting. I know. And I think people, um, a lot of people don't appreciate, especially people outside China, don't appreciate how uh, cool headed the central leadership has been in China. Yes. I mean, yes. a lot of times the people are actually, you know, when you say things like that to the Chinese people, first of all, we are shocked. Mm-hmm. Are we? A, oh, we are a threat. We're evil. Whom? We're because a threat. Of what? That's right. What? That's right. To what? I'm just living my life. What are they talking life. about? And I know. And they mm-hmm. tell us, you guys are oppressed. I'm like, huh? Really? <laughs> the government. I am? I'm I am? Really? <laughs> right. Thank you. I'm like, you're oppressed. What? What do you mean? What? Right. And then. This is exactly After it. a lot of that, some people will get angry. You know, some people, we don't like people telling us this, mm. but we appreciate the fact that the central leadership, you know, of the country, they don't get shifted or they're not as they don't become what's called hawkish which means they don't threaten war oh right hawkish. I don't, i'm not right. sure baby means that i think they they um, don't react they're they not react uh, reactionary yes. to western exactly. propaganda like they don't, they don't take the bait exactly they they have amazing the, self-control um, the the confidence yeah. yeah, the yeah. composure and just so poised and cool headed, because if let's say if, if I make the call or if some other um, groups of, uh, you know, more um, people with more feverish temperatures or mm. more feverish temperament make the choices, mm. maybe bad things would have happened. Right. Mm. Yes. But I, I really appreciate how cool and composed the central leadership has been. Don't push us too far. You do a lot of media commentary. And so I was wondering if you could, because there are a lot of different perceptions in our country, in America, about China. And I was wondering if you could comment on how you see China represented in America to Americans versus life in China. What's it actually like? Even in the field of China experts, people who claim to be experts, is their expertise representative of what life no, is like in China? No, no, there's really not. And it, this, this is the this is the problem. Um, I read things written by very intelligent, even well-intended people. They're not necessarily anti-China. And I read what they write about China hmm. and I just go, I'm just like, they don't know. They, and they write it mm-hmm. because they're intellectual. You are under the impression they have credibility. So you would think this is a credible guy mm-hmm. and they're writing this credible, this paper and they're an intellectual and smart person and, and they have two MBAs and, and they're in this position mm-hmm. and that. And, but you read it. And so you think, that, yeah, but Jason, it's just completely off. It's so wrong. Whatever it is they're writing, their perception, their idea of, and they've done this with the 20th Congress last week, their perception and the way that they're writing about it has nothing to do with the reality of what you watched Mm. for five days, watching it yourself. Mm. Go, excuse me? What? (laughs) You know, President, she's, uh, I'm happy to inform you that President- Drinking too much tea? What? Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't believe that this was on CNN where they're analyzing how much tea Xi Jinping is drinking instead of the content of his speech. Yes. Yes. Do you know that his, you know, do you know, I did a live podcast with Alex over at Ai Chongqing, which is another great news outlet. Mm. And I did a live podcast during Xi's speech with him. We were live during Xi's speech live. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so we made an effort to listen to what she was saying. And the phrase I used was, ah, oh, <laughs> she's speech is wonderfully boring. He has yet, he didn't say, he didn't say, which of course I don't mean it's boring. I'm meaning to say he didn't say anything mm. that surprised me. Mm. And that's good. Mm. Right. That's a good thing, right? Everything he said was, everything that he said was a reflection of she and his, the government's understanding mm. of what, mm. where China has been, where China is now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where China is going in the future. And he just laid it out. Just It was a pragmatic clear. Mm. There was nothing overly flowery about it. (laughs) It bordered on boring and that's good, right? Mm. It was repetitive. And that's a good thing, right? right? That was very good. So that was, that's it. He just was like, also, by the way, very highly self-reflective and self-critical. We have problems. We still have these problems. We are still committed to and are more than ever addressing Mm. these problems. Now, I don't know about you guys, but what more do you want from your government than that? (laughs) I can't think of anything. Yeah. Right. Isn't that their job? I mean, isn't that what they're supposed, that's what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And and then, then, then you get the Western reading of what she said. Mm. Oh my God. And you read and you go, uh, what? 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 The CNN headline was, she's speech focused. This was the CNN headline immediately after she's speech. I screenshotted it and wrote an article about it because I was like, what? She's speech focuses on Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the pandemic. That was the headline mm. on this on CNN immediately after she's speech. I was like refreshing the page going, what speech did they listen to? Because okay. my, my response was, okay, it was in well over an hour. At the time, I thought it was maybe about an hour, but it seems like the speech was even close to two hours. Mm. In, in the period of over close to two hours, call it an hour and a half, in the period of a whole 90-minute speech, he didn't say more than five sentences about <laughs> Hong Kong. He said, he said, what he said about Hong Kong was like five sentences. What he said about Hong Kong was like five sentences. And what he said about the pandemic was, I think, even only like four sentences or three sentences. Mm. He didn't say anything hardly at all about them. He said, we will reunify with Taiwan. This is why nothing's changed. And then he went on to the next subject. That's all he said about Taiwan. Same thing with the pandemic. We have succeeded at protecting people's health. We will continue adjusting zero COVID to do our best to protect people's health while not impacting the economy. Mm. That's all he said. And he went on to the next subject. So out of 90 minutes, that's all the man said. Mm. Right. And then CNN says, oh, he focused on those topics for 90 minutes. No, 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 no. He focused on, he, it's so odd. It's so weird. I, I, but that's what Western media does. They distort China and then they open the top of the American people's heads and they pour the sh- crap in. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> Even Western surveys and research have confirmed, which is to say, mm-hmm. we all understand that Chinese people on a daily basis don't think about 
nor want to think about politics or their government. And that's a good thing because mm. I believe that they intentionally in the West, Jason, I believe that they're intentionally riling up everyone and telling them to get themselves involved in politics and speak and go protest as a means of distracting them and wasting mm -hmm. all of their time because it doesn't get it. It doesn't make any impact at all. Mm -hmm. The plutocracy is in control. They, they don't do anything that the people want. They do everything that they want to serve the plutocracy and they're giving all these people you have your free speech yes go protest just to keep them busy right <laughs> just to keep them busy not not to make any impact because they make very little impact but here in china they don't play that game mm -hmm. which is good they don't fool they don't try to fool the people in china the government does its best to do its job exactly. and let me tell you something if a government doesn't do a good job then everybody's in trouble mm. and if the government does do a good job then everybody's okay mm. and the chinese people like you just said they're like wow that's that's complicated stuff i don't want to get involved in that i just hope that whatever the government does enables me to be able to have my decent life right. that i want to have and also and that's all they care about exactly i want to add to that because um you know after i i like to read about the and especially, you know, books written by Western scholars about, you know, China or the Chinese governance in general. And time after time, and also my with my personal experience of living here, time after time, I found out that, you know, I can worry about things happening. But the government always, always have a better way, always, always has a better strategy. They know so much more about what's happening mm. and how to tackle all the problems. So after a while, I feel like I don't need to worry that much. I don't need to. Right. There's no. What, what do you got, have to say about it? Right. I know you've got the professionals doing their job diligently. All we hope is that they don't work too hopefully, hard. Hopefully so, they are. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we have that much faith because, well, I don't want to call it faith. I'm I think it's just the understanding of uh, yes. of reality. They're doing what they can. It's a tough job. And let's not make things more complicated. Mm. Yeah. That's their job. It's in professional hands. That's right. Moving on. Right. The Chinese person, I feel, is like, that's their job. My job's my job. That's their job. I hope they're doing a good job. And actually, <laughs> as we know, uh, China has, along with Singapore, the number one and or number two, very close every year, most trusted government and most satisfied citizens in the world. And on that Happy, I'm yeah. not happy note. The Eidelman Trust yeah, Barometer. Edelman, Edelman, yeah. Edelman mm -hmm. and uh, Harvard study as well. And on that happy note, let's move on to the yeah. non-political and non-governmental topics. I want to tell you the coolest thing that I did in China. Sure. Because it caused me to see local China. And that was when, because I wrote my article, mm -hmm. I was thrust into the public media in China. The article I wrote in February 2020, something's not right here, folks, um, which was defending China to say that to blame China for the pandemic is ridiculous. I wrote that article. We don't have time to talk about it right now. That article went crazy, viral across the whole world and all across China. People's Daily, uh, Huan Chou Wang translated it into Chinese. It remained at the top of the page in China for 10 days. Mm -hmm. That made me famous. You yes. were an actor in a Chinese movie. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that? Playing General MacArthur? Yeah, that was really special. I will tell you back in the early 2000s, I did a lot of TV series as well. Look, I, again, I'm a speaker. Mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable in, on the camera. So it was a natural thing. They asked me to start doing acting. So I did a lot of DNC. I did Yao Bai Nilong with Zhen Zhuwei. Mm. So back then I worked with Zhen Zhuwei and uh, Ye Tong, uh, who were back then very, even Zhen Zhuwei, even now, 
is quite famous. I think I know you know him. the short, yeah. the short, mm. stocky guy. I think I know. I don't. The Hong Kong actor, John Drew Wei. So that was in the early 2000s. And I did quite a few. I did. I did uh, also. Oh, I can't remember with the lady with the boss. I'll remember it later. Doesn't matter because it was just work. It's all it was just work. I didn't become famous. Fine. So it was just work. A uh, do la la r do la la do la la. I did do yeah. la la r. I was right. I was I would right. I was her boss. Okay. Again, doesn't matter. So I, oh yeah, I did some. I did. Oh, you're. I, I got asked to do some production work. Okay, that's fine. But when I got asked to play General MacArthur in Crossing the Yalu River, that was a big deal mm. because it was the anniversary of the China in the North Korean in the Korean War. So it was the anniversary of China pushing back on the U.S. aggression on the Korean Peninsula. Mm. And they were making this big war movie about it. And it was at the end of the year and it had to do with the anniversary. And so it was the first TV series that I was ever in where I happened to get a lead role where they pl I played MacArthur. Mm. This was obviously the lead role. So it was the first one where I ever got to play the lead role. But it was also wow. CCTV one prime nice. time. So that's why it was a big deal. So then when it went on the air, you know, boom. So that was great. So that was an amazing experience and I appreciated it. I don't do that kind of work that often, but there was that one and that was really fun and really cool. Uh, and again, it showed me more and gave me more of an understanding of China's history as a country mm. and what its people and its government mm. care about. You know, yeah. so over these years, I got to really understand this country much, much better. I think one of the probably the most difficult thing for foreigners, people outside China uh, to learn about China is that there's so much to know yeah. and you need to really spend some time to soak in the culture because you know, Chinese people, it takes time for, you know, people to get to know each other and for people to get a sense of the lifestyle. And so I, I think, you know, you were talking about how a lot of Westerns, even scholars, when when I read a lot of the works they, they write, I feel like, you know, they know something about China, but not really at a certain depth. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't mm -hmm. spent enough yes. time. It takes literally decades mm -hmm. to, to yes. really get to know this place, to get to know the people. And if you just, you've seen the numbers, mm -hmm. Or you've seen the the graphs. You've talked, interviewed a few people no. that give you a picture on the surface. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can I comment on this? Yeah, please. This is something that frustrates me actually a lot personally because I see a lot of China experts who have like a PhD in China studies from Cambridge, and maybe they've been to China for like a few yes. months here and there, or even and that's it. And then they go back, and then they represent China to an entire other nation. And people mm. think of them as an expert and sure, you know, I'm sure they're very smart people. But after I'd lived here five years, I still had no idea like the <laughs> depth and complexity. And the more I've learned about China, the more I realize I don't know very much about China, even after 10 years. Mm. So for these people to study China from afar with a university degree from a Western country and then speak on behalf of China about what is happening here, I think is kind of a ludicrous proposition. Yep. From your book, uh, I remember there's a section about thinking like a Chinese. Yes. And you said, you wrote that if you, if you can't think like a Chinese, you can't really understand China or anything about China. That's right. And as a Chinese, I, I agree with that. And yes. I know that it takes a lot of time. Not that you have to learn or study a lot, but just being here 
getting to know the people and, you know, associate with them. That's when how you learn about this culture and how you yeah. under, start to understand the people in the country. And if you don't have that experience, it's very hard to to have a valid opinion yes. or a judgment. Yes. But I think the sad thing is a lot of people don't have that experience, but they have a lot of opinions. <laughs> and that's when we have, you know, trouble sometimes. Yeah, I get real. Yes, yeah, right. That's And this is Jason's frustration that I share with him um, because I listen to foreigners who have been here for four years or seven years, and then they start talking and they start talking like they know exactly what they're talking about. And then I'm just sitting there. I'm just nodding my head going, you have no idea what you, you think you know what you're talking about, but you don't. And this is the problem, right? When you you know enough to be dangerous, right? And and that is the problem. Mm. And mm. it wouldn't matter, but the stakes are high. The, the stakes are high. Mm. Uh, geopolitically, we have a lot of conflict happening now. So the stakes are high. What's going to happen mm. in the future? And so it matters if people are spouting information that's not right and that's not accurate. I think about my understanding of China at 10 years compared to my understanding of China at 20 years. Mm. And it's vastly different, but especially because of what happened to my career in the last three, four years with with, again, mm -hmm. the article and working in the media and doing these documentaries. I really I feel like I finally did the deep dive. Mm -hmm. I finally did the deep dive to where now I know it much more deeply mm -hmm. to a degree that I couldn't even explain to someone else. And so now when I hear other people talk, I just kind of go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. And I, I, I keep quiet. Yeah, right. I keep quiet. There's no point you know? in arguing. Yeah. But I think um, yeah. hopefully our yeah. show can show a lot of people uh, maybe who haven't been to China mm. that it's a fun place. Look at all the great things that Mr. Ma has done right we, over the past uh, 24 years. We are actually running out of time, yeah. hoping we yeah. could convince you here on the air while we still have you, that we mm. could have you back in a couple months again. Yeah, <laughs> it be my pleasure. It's a long conversation. We have to do part two. Yeah. Yes. Thank yes. you so Thank much you for so your much. time. Thank you so much. It's been so much Thank fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Ma. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.